Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fresh Prince of Tasmania. I hope, I hope everyone has had a super and amazing week. You know what? This is the first Friday of December, ladies and gentlemen. That means two more Fridays and Santa Claus is on his way. I'm so excited. I tell you what, I love this time of the month. This time of the month, the summer uh, waves of rays of sunshine comes and talking about a wave of sunshine and rays, ladies and gentlemen, we have Jason on the show tonight. Jason is a doctor of love, psychology, uh, a lover of naturopath, uh, naturopath, tell me more, medicine. naturopaths. Naturopathic medicine, integrative medicine. Integrative medicine. Yeah. And uh, we've got Alex back on the show again. We've got Christian behind the scenes, the man, the face you never see. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a very exciting podcast tonight, and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on tonight, Jason. Thank Thanks you very much for having me. So Jason and I, ladies and gentlemen, met uh, last week. We were at a film premiere screening of, uh, what was it called again? Dance of Death. Dance, Dance of Death. Death. Yes. So it was a documentary about uh, two men exploring, uh, following the same roots as ancient explorers, uh, of the in the 18th century because that's ancient times. Um, great, great documentary. They went through one end of Africa, to the other end of Africa. Uh, were they there for like 20 days or something like that? Yeah, um, I think so, yeah. an amazing story. Um, and we got to really see the uh, the reality of life of what it's like to be in Africa and the crimes against humanity, and at the same time, the love that the, the, the native people have for each other. And yeah, it was mm. beautiful. But enough about that. Welcome to the show. Um, tell me, you got a, a book coming out, your book launch next week? Yeah, on the 14th of December, we yeah. have a book launch for uh, my second book, but uh, this is the first time I've actually launched a book. Yep. Uh, it's an exciting book because it's really my life up until now in terms of my career and yep. where I've uh, come from to where I am today in terms of myself as a person as well. So it's quite exciting to get that out there. Um, I did write the book start writing the book about 15 years ago, but put the pen down because I hadn't gone through. What made you decide 15 yeah. years ago that you were going to write a book? It just hit me one day. I just thought, you know, I've got a story that needs to get out there because there's a lot of young people out there that could actually resonate with it. Yeah. <clears throat> and I thought it might be a good thing to tell people, uh, let people know how, where, I, where I'm coming from, mm -hmm. but also to maybe perhaps inspire some change in people because uh, a lot of I saw a lot of my friends and colleagues struggling as well at the same time yeah so when you say struggling what are you talking struggling about? generally in life with yep. certain you know life challenges yeah uh, and that's how my book was born yeah so uh, I started writing it and then put the pen down because yep. I felt like I the story needed completion I need to go through some more stuff in my life to actually get to that point where I'd actually feel creditable enough and also experienced enough as well to to really bring it together so i picked it up again about a year ago and and it was just free-flowing it yeah. just came out like it was verbal what come out tell me about your well, tell me what you, you went to university to study uh what did you go to university to study for? well i studied a, um so i'm a bachelor of science bachelor, bachelor of health science but yeah. that came after okay i actually f fell into what I studied yeah. and you'll learn in the book how yeah. it all came about yeah. I mean I, I'm not going to give away everything tonight mm -hmm. but I'll, um, I'll let you know that it was more of an evolutionary process so yeah. you get to certain path and then you 
you you come to a, a fork in the road okay which way do i go yep and you you decide yep and you make a change yep and i blinked my eyes a few years later and i just didn't know how i got there because it was just um just following instincts yep the head was out of the equation it mm-hmm. was just natural flow so staying in the flow was really important for that yep. um, um so, so uh 15 years ago you must have yeah. had a completely different like mindset to the one yeah. that you have like now Absolutely. you're older and more experienced <clears throat> did you have like an ultimate aim 15 years ago to write the book and then did it change first uh, of all what's the book called the book's called the wounded healer so okay. as the name suggests the wounded healer is an archetype it was um, developed by a psychiatrist uh, psychologist uh, Carl Jung which describes a, a, a practitioner who's been through pain and in their pain they've discovered meaning and purpose in their life mm-hmm. and then in was able to then become a, a true healer in the sense that they could really uh, have empathy and understanding for their clients. Mm-hmm. So it's being wounded, having the experience, and then being able to pass on that knowledge because you've been through stuff. So it's um, doctor as healer rather than um, as, yeah, it's a little bit different than, say, an academic as a, te- as a, as a practitioner. Yeah. Because it, you've, it's, an academic goes to school, learns the studies, learns the skills, and then applies. So you're them more to of people. a philosopher. Well, uh, wounded healer is more. You've actually been through the pain. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's actually triggered the actual, the um, the need to become a practitioner. Yeah. Through through pain yep. and self discovery. Mm-hmm. So that's why that well, I came up with that term, and I actually came up with that many years ago. Um, and I was when I, I was reading Carl Jung's. Um, uh, meaning of what it was it just hit me and i thought this is me so i had to start writing the book and i dropped it back then because it just wasn't the right time but um but yeah so does that answer your question was that something um sort of i mean i was getting at like mindset and like you must because you must you were much younger 15 years younger you would have been you would so you was obviously in high school was that right well the, the the journey of the wounded healer started back when i was a footballer and that's, you know, the, the, I'll, show, I'll show you a brief story, is that um, I was playing football at high level at, at college, and I was passionate about my football. Football was my life. I wanted to play with the greats, wanted to play first grade, I wanted to go all the way. But something happened one day that changed the course of that in an instant. So basically I was on the football field, going up, doing my normal tackles, and then the leg just snapped from underneath me. So there and then that just changed the whole course of everything hmm. that led to a lot of a series of um you know trials and tribulations with health such as you know poor recovery of the leg which almost led to amputation oh really yeah and then basically yeah so what happened was the it was a pretty severe fracture and it was like the leg was facing the other way around it was quite a uh you know traumatic experience you could say so trauma actually triggered this this book and um or the story of this book and what happened was i didn't know at the time but it was basically a forced change i wasn't changing myself the the incident the trauma forced change upon me mm-hmm. because here's me in my head thinking i'm going to be a footballer yeah but then this happened and led me on a completely different path mm-hmm. so in all the the stress of thinking I'm going to lose a leg and all this sort of stuff, 
it, I went into a bit of a depression and drinking drugs, all sorts of things. And, uh, and then one day I just decided that this is not the way to go. And to cut a long story short, what had happened was I ended up uh, going back to my doctor saying there's something wrong with his leg. And he basically ignored the, my, my symptoms. And uh, so I was quite disillusioned. I decided to go and see my football doctor. He took one look at it. He said, go straight to the hospital. You need to get a scan on that. So they found an infection, which was almost, uh, you know, an amputation, but it took 12, 12 months, but we actually got rid of the infection. So that's how it started, mm -hmm. almost losing the leg. And then after that, as a result of all the pharmaceuticals, my body was really run down. So I, I slipped into a bit of depression, uh, didn't know where to go next. And then just one day the lights went on. I said, okay, I've got to change. I have to do something. How old were you when the lights changed? I was about 20, 20 21, 22, you'd say. Oh, 21 was when I actually, still a young guy. 21, I was playing football. About 22, about a year later, when I did get the, um, so I got the all clear eventually mm -hmm. with the doctor. And I thought, okay, what am I going to do now? By this time, all the medications had taken its toll. Yeah. So what happened from there on is I just started to do things. I started to exercise. I started to eat well. Mm -hmm. I started to look into my health. And that just opened up a whole paradigm, a, a whole new world to me in terms of health and nutrition and, and healing. I had no idea what a naturopath was. I yeah. didn't know what a natural doctor was. I didn't know what nutritionist was. In fact, the, it was quite funny. It's, I was bumped into this guy at a health food shop I said to him, mate, what are you doing? He goes, I'm a naturopath. I said, what the hell's that? I said, I just, in my mind, it was some hippie in Byron Bay or something. He said, well, if you want to learn about that, this is where you go. So I just went there for my own selfish purposes, and I thought, well, I'll go and look at what this is about. So I rolled into a nutrition course. And what had happened was, a year into the course, I actually discovered it's a professional training course, which means you finish your diploma, you get to become a practitioner yeah. I had no idea I thought it was purely for my own learning and whatnot so that's how it all started it was by accident I actually never enrolled into this course thinking I wanted to be a practitioner I wanted yeah. to be a healer how long was the course it was three training oh wow it took me uh, I think four in the end because I took a year off after um, the first two years because it was just too much because it was all, my, all of a sudden I'm a footballer jock next thing I'm doing biochemistry and and physiology, it was tough. Yep. So I took a break, took off overseas. So I talk about that in the book. And um, so then it just, I opened up a whole new world. So one minute I got my friends over here partying, going out clubbing, and I'm over here learning to be a, a practitioner. Hmm. They're looking at me going, what are you doing? You know, what's As a 40 player, as a 40 player, you yeah. must have already been into a bit of nutrition anyway. And Not really. Fitness. Well, yes and, yes and no. I basically got interested at a 17 year old because um, I was into bodybuilding and it was a football and so none of the guys were I used to take my protein shakes into school um, but I was sort of dabbling I was just trying to trying to do things my own way without any studies so at 17 I was doing that sort of thing and then it wasn't until this injury that it opened up the possibility of further studies and, and um, you know further learnings mm -hmm. Uh, I was overweight as a kid, so for me, those purposes were to keep the weight off. Right. Okay. So not for health. 
So would yeah. you would you say that because you were misdiagnosed by your general practitioner that this is what kind of spurs you on to go into the the field of naturopathy? Look, I'm not. A, I'm. I call myself an integrative doctor, but and I've trained as an integrative doctor because I don't believe purely one way or purely the other. I believe that integration is the key. It's a bit of a and, mix. Yes, and if you have the best of Western medicine and Western science coupled with traditional philosophies and traditional traditional understanding, I mean, let's face it, we've survived on this planet for thousands of years with traditional knowledge of the traditional healers and the, you mm. know, the Maori healers and the Aboriginal healers and the Ayurvedic healers. Now, they've been around, and the Chinese medicine doctors, they've been around for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. But Western medicine is now catching up in terms of its being able to to prove some of the so-called theories, which we have thousands of years of anecdotal studies, you know, um, but now Western medicine is starting to catch up. Mm-hmm. So I'm not against one or the other, but I do believe that in some situations, um, medication is not necessary, and that there is quite a bit of overprescription going on out there. Mm-hmm. And you see it with our young kids, you see it. In fact, Australians, we're the second highest in the world for psychotropic drug prescription. What's a psychotropic? Drug mind altering or um, uh, brain altering drug or so you brain mean like, modulating drug. Are you saying like people that are stuff? suffering from depression, depression, anxiety, ADHD, ADHD yeah. all that sort of stuff? Yeah, yeah. So we're second in the world. Who's number one? Uh, I believe it's Finland. I believe Finland. I believe. Wow. I'd have to double check that. It's one of those uh, that in that area, mm. and um, could be Finland, it could be Poland, but I'll double check that for you. But uh, the um, it's alarming statistic. You know we. You know, we live in a sunshine country, we live in a happy country, but yet we're second prescribed in the world, mm. you know, per capita, that is. Mm. So um, you've got to question whether or not uh, there are other potential interventions that we could in- employ uh, opposed to just medicating. Do you think a lot of the drugs that are prescribed by, PH, uh, by GPs is um, also more of a, and, and not just from the GP's perspective, but also from the um, parents perspective and what's the person taking the drugs is that they want a quick quick solution yeah we've 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 actually um i mean we we want everything fast and Mm. that's the thing that they know that sells so Mm. if they can give you a quick fix for something Mm. and it gives you a relief of your symptoms Mm. then that's why how people get pulled up pulled into that Mm. however what you're actually entering into there is what's called the pain treatment or the symptom treatment cycle okay talk a lot about this in my book Mm -hmm. Whereas we're, you know, we have a headache, we take a pill, mm. calms the headache down. Mm-hmm. But what we're actually saying to the headache is shut up yeah. until it gets louder and louder and louder. You take more painkillers yeah. and it gets louder and louder. Next yeah. thing you know, because the underlying problem yeah. hasn't been addressed. So mm. what it's, what, when you take, say, for an example, a painkiller, pain yep. it's just sending a, a message to the brain to stop sending a message. No, it's just receptors in the brain, yeah. yeah it's just stop sending a message saying there's pain. Correct. There. Pain is in the brain. Yeah, so just just stopping the receptors pretty much. Yes, so uh, if you are just blocking the nociceptors, what you're actually doing is you're not acknowledging the pain site, yeah. and in fact, you can cause more damage. Yeah. So you see that a lot with cortisone injections. Yeah. You see people get injected. I mean, I saw a common practice in football. Mm-hmm. Inj- uh, injection, uh, play forward, keep playing on, uh, keep working on it, keep using it. Next thing you know, it becomes a more serious problem. Mm-hmm. Because the pain injection is only masking the actual underlying problem. Mm-hmm. So then if you break, want to break out of that treatment cycle, you've got to address the actual underlying cause. Mm-hmm. 
So that's where natural medicine and integrative medicine and uh, Chinese medicine, traditional medicine. Do you, do you come think from. it's a myth when it says uh, this is a not ta- is not it's not targeting the pain area? A myth of well, when you're taking a neurofin, right? Yeah, it says it's going to hit the target area. So if you've got pain in your knee. It's not actually going to oh, be. Look, it's not going to be fixing your knees. It's, 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 it's I don't want to get too much into the into the to the drug side of things. I believe drugs have a place. Yep. In fact, in some cases, I'll say to my patients, "You need the drugs." Yep. But then, in some cases, I'll say to them, "Look, let's try another option first. Yep. And if we can get a good result here, then let's hold off if you can. Yep. But I never make the decision for them. Yep. I give them the pros and cons of both sides, yep. and they decide. Um. There is a time and a place for drugs. Yep. I've been saved by drugs. Mm. My leg's been saved by drugs. Yep. Um, I got saved from, um, uh, I went into shock after a, a rib injury. Drugs saved my life. Yep. Paramedics saved my life. Yep. Uh, after, a, a, you know, so I've, you know, I had a list this long in hospital, at Bellman Hospital, going backs and forwards as a kid. So mm. medicine's got its place. Yep. I mean, I have a cousin who's an emergency medicine doctor and yep. she's a fantastic woman. She. She saves people day to day, yep. you know, with life-saving drugs. Mm. But what we do differently is we're good with the long-term chronic problems. Yep. Medicine's very good at the fast, quick, life-saving, yep. life-threatening conditions and yep. they're good at diagnosis as well. They mm. can diagnose, they've got great tools for diagnosis. Mm. We have great diagnosis too. However, the integrative diagnosis is way to go. So look, that's why I sit in the middle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's very it clever. It is actually... Very clever. You know, I mean... Um, I've said many times on my podcast that I I like to take more natural products. You know, um, I'm more about my my diet. I'm more about my mind as well. I'm more about. Yeah. I, I'm a massive believer that I can heal my body through um, through the way I think. Absolutely, that's possible. And I don't, but I have no uh, facts in that. But I that's what I believe. I believe I have the power to be able to do that mentally. Well, here's but, I'm going to make a point but, that no, when you, when you got really ill no, the other week, I said get. To now, the hospital and stop thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to be better. Listen, hear me out. So th- that's what I'm saying about I'm a, normally like, I like to be like that. Yeah. However, it's Within been... reason. But many times, so three, to- three, nearly every year since I've been mm-hmm. in Sydney, I've had uh, my lung uh, just almost stop working because I'm just not getting enough air in and I've had to be rushed to hospital. Mm-hmm. They pump some drugs into me, open the lung up wow. and, and, and literally save me. Uh, and so... I I know that the, there are things out there that you can that are going to save you instantly. Yeah. But I, I'm a massive massive believer that you know longevity. You really want to be having all the other factors. Yeah, I mean, medicine's great for getting you out of trouble and for certain conditions. And you know, I've never. I mean, I went through a period there. I was very angry at medicine because one doctor almost caused me to lose my leg because he he neglected it. But then mm. on the other hand. My good friend who will beat my book launch, Dr. Ron, he actually saved my leg. Yeah. So he had a doctor with heart who knew what to do and used, his, used what he knew to get me right. Mm. So each thing has its time and it has mm. its place. Mm. And the only thing that I can say is if people do have something going on, it's always a healthy thing to do mm. is to get two perspectives. Mm. And then you can just make a decision once you have that knowledge. Mm. A lot of people do not do that. They don't even get a second opinion for a medical diagnosis. Mm. So, for example, they'll get a doctor and they'll say, what do you think, doc? And he'll say this. And they'll swallow that hook, line and sinker without doing any of their own research or understanding. Some, in some cases, they might look on Dr. Google, which mm. is not a good thing to do. 
Um, yeah, they will self-diagnose. They'll self-diagnose. <laughs> um, the amount of times my it's, it's very important, to... even within the medical realm, is get a second opinion. Yeah. I learnt that the heart. I mean, thank God I did because I wouldn't have a leg today. Yeah. If I had to listen to the first doctor and just ran around on it like there's nothing wrong, that wouldn't have been around. Hmm. So, um, medicine has the power to heal, yeah. but also has the power to harm if it's not mm. used properly. And the same with, you know, and both sides of the fence as well. Mm. You know. I'm very mindful because I have a lot of medical doctor colleagues and friends and, and they're fantastic people, fantastic mm. doctors uh, and, um, you know, quite respectful of what they do. Mm. Um, you know, my, I'm the biggest fan of my cousin who's an emergency medicine practitioner. She's fantastic. So, um, so yeah, so I think what I wanted to come out of this book as well was an awareness around integrative healthcare, yeah. integrative medicine. Yeah. Because when you start mentioning the word naturopath and you start mentioning the words um, traditional, traditional medicine yeah. and st- traditional healers, it can sometimes give the wrong connotation. Some mm. people think with that those that wording, it's a bit hoo-ha, it's a bit out there, it's not scientific. Yeah. But uh, that's why I do not go too far one way or too far the other. Mm-hmm. I like to be in the middle in that... Um, so you must have an extensive amount of uh, research and knowledge and uh, yeah. awareness and constantly learning. You always learn. You have yeah. to keep learning. Yeah. Because yeah. If the, the, the day you think you know it all is the day you actually uh, stop learning. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you have to pretend you don't. In some cases, your patients teach you. Yeah. Your patients come in. In fact, I, was th- I thank my patients about this book because, in this book, because patients actually taught me a lot of the lessons and a lot of the, you know, my clinical skills, you could say, because yep. you have to, you have to apply science to people, and you have to have to understand individuals. But then they have to feed back to you, and then you work from that. It's yeah. a, it's a constant. It's a creative. Yep. It's it's a constant state of um, openness you have to be in, and, and a state of creation as well. Yep. So so um, after you became a naturopath, yeah, um, you pursued a career where you were working with sports teams, NRL teams, the Tigers, am I right? And yeah. AC Milan, which is pretty interesting. Who, which, which AC Milan players did you Oh, look, with? I had, um, uh, I can't, I don't really like to say names, but I, I, what happened was a young, a guy come up, turned up at my doorstep one day. He was sent by Federation Australia and... Was it Kaka? I can't tell you who it was. <laughs> oh, I can't, I don't, it's a code of, code of silence. You can't really tell yeah, who yeah. you've treated, but you can say what they're linked to. Uh, unless they've authorised it. But he was actually a well-known striker and sold, me, uh, uh, kicked many goals. He turned up to my clinic. I had no idea who he was. And he mm. comes in with the bag and he's giving me a bag and I'm looking at him going, do I know you from somewhere? And uh, then it hit me who it was. Um, but um, he played for, I think he played for Italy as well. So, um, uh, I yeah, I he... It, it I didn't work Smario it out until about halfway Palatelli. through the session. Sorry? Sit my name with Mario Falatelli. Mm, I can't. can't say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so we, we've had a few. I worked for the Tigers initially um, because obviously not being able to play for the Tigers, the next, I did play for the younger grades, you know, yeah. so the, uh, Harold Matthews and, um, the, uh, and Holy Cross was a feeder team for the Tigers. But the, the next best thing was to actually work for the Tigers. So I... Mate of mine used to work for the Tigers. Used to send players down. I used to work with them, and I used to do talks with nutritional talks. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned in the book. I remember doing a talk one day, and 
and I got Bo Ryan in the background heckling me. And um, I had no, he wasn't a big name then, he was only starting out. And, I, and about a few years later when he became popular, I went, oh, that's that guy who was heckling me when I was doing my talks for the Tigers. Yeah. Because when you're talking, stuff like that, that the boys, yeah. footballers are not interested. Yeah. They just want to drink, they want to party, yeah. they want to play footy, they want to hang out with their mates. When you talk about nutrition, it's not... But uh, I was actually... Is that, is that changed now, though? Yeah, it's become more professional now. Yeah. I mean, I was... I Because was, mindset is a yeah. lot... Everything, is everything now in... Well, I wasn't really into mindset then. I was yep. all about nutrition. Yep. Back then, I was a nutritionist. Yep. Wasn't even a naturopath. Yep. It was all about diet, all about nutrition, yep. and all about um, sports. I was a sports nutritionist, so my focus was all about sports. But then I soon became very tired of that because all these guys were interested in was sports performance and getting bigger. They didn't really have any regard for health. This used to irk me a little bit. And I said to my mate who used to give me the work, I said, mate, these guys are just not listening. I said, it's hard work. I said, they're just not following um, product, uh, instructions. They want me to do it all for them. And, and then I stumbled across my first client as a normal civilian, not a sports person. And my first client changed the ball game. She was an old lady with osteoporosis, and after a couple, you know, one or two years of treating her, we were able to actually get reversed results. So we actually got her to halt her osteoporosis and slow the progression. And we have, you know, results to prove it. Uh, in my first book, it's in that. And that, that inspired me. I thought, if, I can, if we can help people to increase their bone health and, you know, improve chronic disease, What's the possibility I can do here? You know, mm. so then, and I ventured into doing more study after that because that was like mm, it was inspiring. I thought, okay, I can do this. Um, so I moved away from the sports because the sports people were a little bit, yeah, not so much. They were okay guys. Immature. They just didn't really appreciate the full extent yep. what I was trying to do with them. Yep. Mm. And so, and on top of that, um, it was just an evolutionary process, a growth thing. It was like natural flow. The yep. flow was to move more into to helping people with chronic problems. So you've got a PhD and it's in philosophy, right? Yeah, nutrition, yeah. Nutrition, not philosophy? Yeah, yeah so it's a doctor of philosophy in nutrition. Oh, okay. Yeah, and a doctor of uh, integrative medicine from nutri- um, yeah. So how long have uh, you been studying for? How long did it take you to become a doctor? Well, my first... At what age did you start? I started studying in 1996. How old were you when you started university? Uh, and then my first university, so that was private college. That was college, Australasia. My first university degree, I think, started in 2000, yeah, about four years later. Because what happened that stage, we had to, you had to go back and do uh, science on top of that as well. So that came after that. And so then that started a very long process because it became moreish. The more you learn, the more yeah. you want to learn. Yeah. You know, and then I went through all the realms, chiropractic, naturopathy, acupuncture, integrative medicine. It just kept going and going and going and going. And, uh, and then one day I just went, right, enough. Focus on what you've learned and, you know, integrate that now. Yeah. So that's where the book, uh, Integrative Medicine, the concept of Integrative Medicine came yeah. at the end of that. Yeah. It was like culminating all those skills now into a book. Mm-hmm. And... Um, but it was more because of the passion of integrative medicine, mm-hmm. because of the lack of it, the lack of understanding about it. Yeah. But this book's a bit different. It's more in the to the general public. Yeah. Are you doing it from a first person perspective? 
So it's all through your eyes, this second book, because it's really about your journey. Isn't it's, it? it's basically almost a bibliography. Yeah. But the bibliography, it was a, a, a biography. Biography. Big, big mm. Biography. Biography. It was originally a biography, but then I realised that it shouldn't be about. This book's not about me. Mm. This book's about you, the reader. Okay. This book is about you seeing the journey, getting inspired by the journey to then install change. And it's about, and it's the seven-step program in the book. Why do you um, Why do you want to store change? Well, because I see what What's it in you that like I want to make a difference to people? Yeah, look, it came from way at the beginning, and I, when I started to see um, what I could do, I mean, yeah. I just like helping people. Yeah. It's, it comes from a, a young age. In fact, I, I didn't realize until later, but I used to like helping people. Yeah, and um, so. Because I see people out there, they're just not happy with their lives. Mm -hmm. And they don't realise how important health is. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn the hard way how important health was. And I do know that when you find health, you want more of it. And you want everyone to have it. Mm -hmm. That's why. That's my inspiration. It's a beautiful statement. I like that. So basically... When you find health, you want more and you want everyone to have it. I like that. Ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you. That's nice. So you look at it, it, it um, it's um, the, the goal now, you asked me about my why prior, mm-hmm. is actually to, to educate and inspire people as much as I can for my own journey yeah. and also to, to help people find their purpose yeah. and their telos. Yeah. So that's what this book's about yeah. because how this actual book started writing again, mm-hmm. how I started writing again was that I was sitting in uh, an Anthony Robbins mm-hmm. event. Oh, really? And I was actually at several events prior to that. Mm-hmm. And I could never work it out. But every time I went to those events, I'd walk out with my head throbbing. Mm-hmm. Mm. I couldn't work it out. He does that too, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, it was throbbing. <laughs> yeah. And what it made me realise, there was a lot of hedonistic information coming in. And... It felt like the heart space was a little bit void. And I felt like there wasn't enough emphasis on your foundation, which is your health. Because your health Mm. is your foundation Mm -hmm. for all the clarity, for all the connection to your your clear mindset Mm. and to your purpose in life. To your purpose, 100%. To your purpose. And that's what this book is about. It's about connecting through your health, to your clarity, to your purpose. And I thought, you know, I have to write this because it, it just keeps coming up for me. I have to write this book about health being the foundation. Yeah. Nothing against these guys because I love all the mindset stuff. Mm. In fact, I've got a bit of mindset stuff. I do a lot Look of it. Look, it, it all implies... It but all it's integrated. Integrated anyway. It's about integrating it. Yeah. Health is If you try to say to someone who's... I mean, I've seen it firsthand. I've seen someone with a psychological disease told it's all in your head. Mm. And that you can fix your mind with these tech mind techniques and that techniques and they actually they actually spin out. Yeah. So those type of people, you have to start with their foundation because it's mm. rocky. And you have to build them, you have mm. to support them. Then when they're ready, you can get them involved in all that lovely, mm. fantastic mindset stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's where I come from. And I have we have an event that we hold every few months called Breakthrough to You. Mm-hmm. The Inspiration Project with yeah. myself and two other colleagues. My two other colleagues are mindfulness coaches and mindset coaches. Mm-hmm. I'm the health guy. Mm-hmm. We integrate it. Yep. 
You see, if you got the health missing out of that paradigm, you could be... Top-heavy. Yeah, too top-heavy. Good word. Mm. And I just found that I was feeling very top-heavy with a lot of the mindset stuff yeah, that I need yeah. to really come back. And, yeah. and I think that's what the essence of this book is. Mm. And, um, but yeah. Nice. So, Johnny. How do you know Johnny? Johnny. Johnny oh, Florio. Because we, we ladies and gentlemen, we had Johnny on here the show... Uh, few weeks ago it was a pleasure to have him on here all right was he talking about play on right he was talking about play on he's talking about everything it was the podcast johnny's, two hours. johnny's a, a he's a legend. very very interesting guy and he's a ge- genuine guy because he's a natural path guy. too isn't he he's a natural path well johnny actually yeah. has a background in healing longer than i've ever been in because his his grandmother mm. was a healer mm. one of the very and she used to do a lot of massage work and that product he's got now actually mm. is a product of his grandmother mm. But John used to be a very gifted, hands-on guy. Mm. And he just got, he got to a point where it was enough. Mm. It was taxing him too much and he wanted to break out of it. Mm. And I can agree, I can understand why that is because it does, it does take its toll sometimes. Mm. I've had to burn, crash and burn a few times and take off overseas to, to re-heal. Mm. But uh, I know Johnny from probably the age of five or six. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. We used to play footy together. Yeah. And then we played f- we played footy together because I was younger, but mm. I played above my age because I was a big guy yeah. and I was bigger than most people two years older than me, so I played above. And he was, um, uh, we played together for many years with the Balmain Police Boys. Yeah. And then then we played against each other. Yeah. And, you know, we had our clashes on the field as well. Yeah. But then Johnny and I were friends. We knew each other. We weren't... Um, you could say we were um, best mates because yep. I had a lot of friends yep. and you know he was one of my friends but yep. didn't know him that Just as in that well. Circle, yep. In a circle. Yep. And then about two years ago, hadn't seen him for years, I'm working in the clinic doing some acupuncture and I'm hearing this jackhammering in the back of the clinic. Yep. I go, what the hell is this noise? I was ready to throttle someone. Yep. I said to the receptionist, I said, you better go out there otherwise I'm going to go and... Because I've already called the owner and I said, what's going on? <laughs> And they're saying, oh, that's all right, we're going to... So I go out there, and here comes comes out Johnny with dust all over his face. Love it. Got the jackhammer his, his construction I business. I go, oh my God, it's you. What are you doing? He goes, Love what it. are you doing? So that's my clinic. He goes, oh. He goes, all right. You know how he talks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And then he did settle it down. And... Then from there on, we reconnected. Mm. I got involved with the Raw documentary, which yep. he's, got, he's got coming out. Yep. And How did you get involved in that? He just asked me. Yep. He said, would you like to be part of it? Yeah. No, but yeah. what do you mean? What, what, well, what I got mean? involved in that where I actually tested people prior the Raw diet and mm. after yep. to check their results. Yep. So I was doing a bit of the, the scientific side of it. Yep. And uh, But what had happened... Yeah, so that's, that's sort of something that's almost... It's going to be released as yeah, well soon. Looking forward so to looking forward to that. Uh, hopefully, I didn't get on the um, end up on the cutting floor. Yeah. But um, the he lost uh, a lot of weight. He, him and um, uh, yeah, they lost heaps of weight. Yeah. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny JM, they JM. lost stacks of weight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it is very yeah, it's cleansing. Yeah. And so what had happened not long after that, as well as that, uh, I introduced him to his new new wife, wife to be. Yeah, his wife told me about. And that. he turned the return the favour. <laughs> yeah. Introduced me to my wife to be. So yeah. it's like. Full circle, yeah. and so we, you know, uh, reacquainted yeah. and reconnected over the last couple of years. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. It's a beautiful story. So, what's the future got hold for you, mate? 
What's up? Well, here's a story. Um, what I'm envisaging, I had this epiphany one day that my book is going to um, really open a lot of doors for me. Yeah. Uh, I've already, I'm already a speaker on the, on you know, in my profession, in my uh, healthcare profession. In fact, they're doing a tour next year. However, I want to get out there, um, and we've developed um, the Wounded Healing Worldwide, which is um, an online program. Yeah. And we also got to be doing a lot of coaching slightly outside of the naturopathic room, but more in the, um, uh, it's integrated into all the mindset stuff. So yep. it's a coaching program. Yep. And I'm you looking- You and the other two gentlemen, is that right? No, uh, well, this is, this is my own baby. Yep. Uh, and we'll be uh, offering coaching for anyone who wants to create success and happiness and health in their life. Yep. And uh, various levels. The book is the starting level. Yep. Seven step program, you can do it yourself. Then we've got the online program, we've got the one-on-one coaching. Yep. But, but uh, what I see in the future is a lot of travel. Yep. Uh, there's a little bit of travel coming up next year, already quite a few engagements. Traveling, promoting the book, yep. and doing what I want to do, which is to educate and inspire people worldwide. Yep. And I actually put a number on that. I want to be able to, uh, by the time this book uh, runs its full course and has been around for, for a while, I want it to have reached millions of people. Yep. Do you want to be a New York bestseller? Well, yes, that would be yep. uh, a good good goal to have. You're telling me that you'd uh, you when we were talking the other night, you said that you would, in, would like to turn it into a movie. I'd Just love to, it. Yeah. Well, I talked to Johnny about it actually, and JM. Yeah. When I mentioned the because I sat around a round table like this with JM and Johnny yep. before the book yep. was being written, and as soon as I mentioned the title, he went, "That sounds like a good movie," mm. and I said, "Well." Interestingly, I've always felt that this is there's a movie in this. Yeah. The story of the wounded healer has never been told. Mm. The story's been told Sounds like a, in books. A story about uh, American Indian, doesn't it? Yeah, you could you could say that. Um, but I don't think I think everybody can resonate with the wounded healer. Mm. Let me ask you the question: Have you been wounded? In in what in sense? In any way in your life? Uh, yeah. Have you been wounded? Definitely, definitely. Have you been traumatized or wounded? Okay. We, do, we do that to every Friday. The key, <laughs> the difference between someone being wounded and being a wounded healer mm. is what they do with that knowledge. Yeah. That's the difference. Yeah. That's the only difference. Yeah. If you harbour those wounds and you don't learn from those wounds and don't impart that knowledge to help others, mm. then the wound stays with you. Yeah. But the moment you start to pass on that knowledge, yeah. learn about yourself in the process, you're a wounded healer yourself. Yeah. I come across them every day. Yeah. Patients come in. Yeah. Oh. You look, sound like the wounded healer to me. Yeah. So it's not just my story. It's a story that everyone can share. Yeah, yeah. That's, what I, that's my passion with this book. Yeah. And also it's a story to inspire and empower people. Correct. To then to be able to take, your, take what you've had, what they've had, and help others and spread. That's it. And that kind of, it's the same concept of what we're, we're trying to do here on this. I'm a massive advocate for mental health. Well, let me read you a little quote. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. Get a nice little taster. I'll read you the quote. I'll talk about... The wounded healer in you. So the wounded healer is one who endures much pain, moves through wounds, develops a deep understanding of self, and discovers true purpose, ultimately imparting knowledge for the healing of others. That's my quote. Then I I go on to write that the wounded healer refers to the archetype created by Carl Jung, who described wounded healers as those who have gained pearls of wisdom after after having risen from the depths of despair and times of darkness. I believe there's a wounded healer in all of us. Like my story, many of us have been wounded and have suffered 
to the point of breaking. However, we truly evolve when we, we come to realise that our pain carries profound meaning and we can utilise our pain to understand ourselves and help others in the process. The archetype of the wounded healer reveals to us it is only by willing to face consciously the experience and move through our wounds do we receive the blessing of being able to transcend and be of service to others, to ourselves and others. It becomes our gift once we accept that this is our journey. In essence, we accept and embrace our wounds in this way. The wound actually leads us to a deeper sense of self, moves us towards growth. The, wound, the wounds take the function of helping us through the process of letting go of our old self and being recreated in the process. The wounds are not static, a static representation of who you are, but rather a continuously evolution, evolutionary process that unfolds as we evolve, ultimately connecting to us, collecting to our deeper sense of who we are. As we face our experience, evolve and transcend, the old self falls away, allowing the new self to move towards and to move now from a new space. Many choose to remain stuck in their wounds instead of seeing the wounds as an opportunity to grow, often anchoring the pain with our grief and negative attachment to the pain. The key here is to create a new meaning around your wounds and to look toward the new desired result once dis discovered once you discover what this is for you. For some, being wounded is the way they connect to their higher self, guiding them to a greater sense of purpose. Totally agree. Totally agree. It's very true. Have you ever done a... Have you, you listened to Dr. D. Martini? Yes, he's a, I'm a big fan. Massive yeah. fan. And he... That's one of the uh, breakthrough processes that he uh, makes people go through, is that to make people realise, and I've said it on many podcasts before, about embracing what's happened for you don't be a victim of your um, circumstance don't be a victim of your society don't be a victim of yourself embrace what everything that happened to you and yep. use that as the strength as a foundation as a platform and give it to people that you can help that's it yeah and that's that's right right there right there very eloquently well dr d martini's a wounded healer yeah you know I'm, his story right yeah 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 he's a profound He's a, an amazing individual who, who had ADD and, mm. and, um, and all sorts of intellectual uh, issues. Uh, and then, um, you know, he discovered the love for educating and helping people. Mm. And he made the commitment. He wanted to inspire and educate people, mm. millions and millions of people worldwide. Mm. He's living that dream and purpose. And he's a wonderful human being. Mm. So, um, so just to be clear, a sense. Yeah. just to be clear, a, a wound is basically a metaphor for a tribulation that you go through in life. You could say that, yeah. So okay. it's not necessarily a wound as in a, you know, like a physical wound. It's yeah. A wound can be anything from a trauma to um, uh, an experience um, to a uh, could to it be an actual, something... to actual condition. Yeah? Okay. Could it yeah. be something as simple as like credit card debt? Would that count as a wound? Well, you got to see what what's behind the credit card debt. That's exactly because that's, that's what's a credit card debt is the outcome. The stress yeah. and the anxiety, and it creates, you know, a person's. It, it creates. It makes that person unhappy in that moment, and for a long time until they pay off the debt. So that's the wound, isn't it? And then 
Are you trying to say like the wound is a bit deeper than that? The wound, the the, the credit card debt's the the actual symptom, you could say, mm. the outcome. But the wound is something. Why did that person get into debt in the first place? You got to go a little bit deeper. What what led what led to that event of them becoming into uh, credit card debt? Mm-hmm. What choices did they make prior to that? Mm-hmm. Why did they make those choices? Where were they at in their life? What was going on in their life? When you track mm-hmm. it back, you can usually find the the catalytic the thing that actually happened that triggered those events. Right. So it's like a personality trait in a way. Look, I mean, it's more yeah. yeah that's you're finding out the why. Why? Why did this happen? Why did I let that happen? Why? Do, why am I connected to that? And then why again? And why again? Because the answer because to that question yeah. is, is the answer to that question a, a, a character trait, though. You know, like no, so, no. I don't think it's a character trait. I it think could, it's it just a. It could be. I think it's a life lesson, mm. or there's something going on for that person that has manifested into credit card debt. So it could be like Does a breakup, an emotional breakup. It could be um, being being uh, physically abused as a child, or sexually abused, or um, being trauma, uh, being abused at school, you know, um, and mm. different things. It could be, mo- yeah. mo- mo- most of that type of stuff stems, stems from mm-hmm. an emotional connection that you're holding on to. Yeah, well, um, most uh, people act from, uh, you know, it's a, You always got to ask the question: Why do people behave the way they behave? Is it a character trait? Is it their, their individuality, who they are, mm-hmm. or is this a learned behaviour? So, um, you know, if you really, um, if, if credit card debt, you might have three people with credit card debt, but it's the outlook of that person mm-hmm. that will determine how it affects them in their life. Does mm-hmm. that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. So, it's it's very much an individual thing. Okay, so let's do an example with me. I used mm-hmm. to smoke, mm-hmm. and then I I don't smoke anymore. So that's like, a, is that a wound that I've overcome? Well, it depends what caused you to smoke in the first place. Were you covering up something? And did you break through that thing that caused you to then not need smoking anymore? Because smoking, it can be, I mean, I used to smoke. You know, I used to smoke because it was a social thing. Mm. It was never um, covering something up. It mm. was purely because it was cool, it was peer pressure, it was... So your wound is uh, essentially a concept of something that's, you're covering up to, no, 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 the wound is before, essentially a wound is well, your emotional connection to something, still breaks it down in it. Well, so a wound is really, you could say, you could say wound is a lesson in disguise. So a wound is like the forced, or the, the you could say the, um, the representation of what's really going on. Okay, so you might have uh, have sore knees, but what's really going on for that person is they're lacking direction. Does that make sense to you? Because when things are going on at a deeper level, they manifest in the physical body. Okay. Okay, and the physical world. We're living a physical experience. Mm-hmm. Credit card debt, um, alcohol, drinking. These are all physical experiences that we have that we choose to have. Mm-hmm. Okay. But we're actually having, uh, but what causes those things is something from a deeper sense. So it's, it's almost like the, the, the physical experience is, is there to go through it. So you, you learn your lessons and then you come back to a deeper understanding. Does that make sense? 
So in terms of the, the, the wound, the wound can come in many forms. For some people, the wound can be uh, a psychological wound, uh, a physical wound. A ment- um, a, uh, it can be uh, an emotional wound. It can be, uh, and whatever that wound represents mm. is purely individual, mm. what it means to you. I find them easier to visualize those emotional wounds um, over something like alcoholism or cigarette addiction or credit yeah. card debt as wounds, yes. um, which like most people like face. But people like in relationships who they, they might break up with a girlfriend and then they never get over it. I can see that as being a wound. I can actually visualize that and I kind of understand it in that. I kind of see how that works as a metaphor there. I'm just trying to work out how it, it works, you know, with common addiction or something or just like character flaws that people have. Um, That's a good question. Uh, and again, it comes down to, 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 to really truly understanding the depth of it all. And, and a good clinician can really get to the bottom of what the wound is. Mm. And at the end of the day, a self-realization has to happen where, you know, I often ask patients, so, you know, what happened in your life? And they'll say to me, I experienced anger. You know, what, what age was that? I was about 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what did you learn about that? What, what do you know about that? And once they, so they're identifying themselves. Okay. It's not, so it, it really is what it is to you. So if, if um, you know, many people uh, suffer wounds without even realizing. You know, they, they're, they're in certain company of people that they're getting negative energy from on a regular basis and they're getting wounded by the people around them. Mm. Um, it's not a traumatic or you know, big event, but it's a thing that's happened over time. You know, so, um, but the main thing is if there's something going on that's affecting the person, they have to take responsibility, look at themselves and ask themselves, what's the representation? What's this mean? Right. And once they learn the lesson, mm-hmm. they transcend it. Yeah. It no longer can affect them. Mm-hmm. So, do you ever meet people that can't grow, though, from their character flaws? Like, they, they, they don't seem to be able to change over yeah. time, even when they identify the problem or they're told what a problem is about I've their seen character. That many times. So, there are people that spiritually are more gifted. I, I, I'm sorry, but this is what I've seen. Hmm. And some might say that that's not true, but. Um, what do, you mean, have, what's this, what do you mean by spirituality? I've seen teaching? some people, spirituality is, is natural to them. It comes mm-hmm. naturally. Mm-hmm. They tend to have a, a much more, they chunk up very easily. They look at the big picture and they mm. look at the big meaning very easily without even realising they just do it naturally. Mm. And the other type is very detailed. Yeah. They're caught in their details. They chunk it down and they look in all the details and they've got a real grasp, uh, like a firm hold on life. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not looking at the big picture. And, mm. and those type of people they have to have a quite a big event to actually get them to lose the grip on life like they have. Mm-hmm. So uh, I know when I went through my trauma, I was holding it together thinking this is what I want to do, but it was forced change from a trauma mm-hmm. at the time. Well, I didn't realize what was happening at the time. And so it caused me to let go of the, the grip I was holding on life. Having said that, um, spirituality has always been a bit easier for me like to look at from that angle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I see others, they, they can struggle with, uh, um, you know, uh, looking at the bigger picture and the, and the high purpose of it all. Mm. And so, yes, it, it can be 
for some people, a challenge. doesn't mean they can't achieve it. It's interesting. Those ones just have to work harder. Mm-hmm. They have to work harder to ascend to another level. There's, you know, um, but then those people are quite gifted in, the, in other areas. They're very detailed person. They're the people that actually, you know, um, create structure in this world. You know, that, that's beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the, the big picture people can learn from that and vice versa, the structured, detailed people can learn from the... So, does it answer your question? Well, it's sort of. I'm actually, it's leaving, leading us onto a completely different yeah, stream. Yeah. Um, you've got the big picture people, which I'd describe as people who are more aware of everything around them. You could say that. And then you've got like people that are more focused on the detail, which are people like, I'd say, that are just less aware of everything around them and only aware of their own consciousness and what's going on in their lives. Um, what other types of people are there or is it just the two or is there well you can get the people who combine the both and I think but and I, you would call those people left and right brain people mm. right in my, in my book first book I talk about the left right brain connection the key is integration of the brain mm. right so integrating right left brain I have to say that I was always been a right brain person so I had to learn to become more detailed and more you know I have a partner who's very detailed and structured and I learn so much of her but yet I'm a very big picture person she learns of me mm-hmm. so you've got to align yourself with people who can help you with those those characteristics mm-hmm. you know one of my best friends he's a very much a detailed person and he's a fantastic guy and he's into details I'm the big picture guy and we bounce off each other and we, we give that to each other and he's going through his own health crisis at the moment and he's now starting to see the big picture and now he's seeing the big picture He's integrating and he's moving forward. Mm. So I think we naturally have, you know, um, strengths and we just got to make sure that we identify what our weaknesses are and work on us. Mm-hmm. Um, one more important question I've got is, I know you can't say the soccer players that you work with, but who are the boxers that you work with? Or is that the same? Can't say that one either. <laughs> <clears throat> there was an Australian champion that I was working with. Mate. Funny story with that one because I was treating him and his trainer said, how about you? You box, don't you? I said, yeah, we box. He said, what about you getting in the ring? He's trying to get me on board and I was his trainer. Mm. So uh, I said, you know, at that time I was like, nah, no more sports for me. But I was the fittest I was. And uh, great boxer, this guy. He's Australian champion. Mm. And um, So it's like a fight camp, you know, where they, is it the same as like, I don't know, in the UFC they have like a fight camp where they'll train for a few months at a time and they get specific people in they get nutritionists in yep. they'll get uh, power lifters in or whatever if they want to do power lifting they get strike uh, coaches and they'll get like uh, jiu-jitsu coaches or whatever is it the same in boxing so you were part of that camp I was part of no I, yeah, I was part of the camp but the, it was more fight day I did mostly right. fight day stuff so I prepared him for the fight I did his massage prior because I used to do a lot of hands on work too hmm. massage prior and actually at the events and you know um, I Connected through my friend at school, she was his partner at the time, and she said he needs a he needs a uh, physical therapy guy. So I put my hand up, no problem, and uh, great guy to work with. Um, but uh, we've had some great people to work with over the years. Um, you know, some good uh, business people, every, all levels, business people, actors. Tell me, you. You're all about nutrition, and you're still all about nutrition now. Lots of it's based on nutrition. Basis yeah. is a nutrition. What do you think about food in uh, fresh fruit and vegetables in supermarkets today? 
Oh yeah, well. See, this is my 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 biggest thing. Well, look, organic is coming a long way now. Mm. You got a lot of shop supermarkets will stock stock organic. Mm. The is it is it swanky? What's that? Uh, is it swanky having organic? Like I grew up in Tasmania, one yeah. of the best places in the world. It is. Like seriously, and I'm very yeah, grateful to be able to grow up there and have fresh fruit and vegetables. But in saying that, I still went to my supermarket, brought everything from my supermarket, ate processed sausages yeah. and everything like that. Um, only now that I'm older and I'm living in Sydney and I'm more conscious about my health than I've ever, ever been in my life. And I think I'm overly overconscious now, yeah. completely overconscious now. And I'm looking at fresh fruit and vegetables, knowing that they've been stored in a cool room and everything like that. Is the nutritional value still um, beneficial for human beings? Um, yeah, look, um, standard food, you have to look at various factors, right? Mm. If it's just general food over the counter, there's a mm. few things that come into play. What's it been sprayed with? Mm. Is it genetically modified? And why does it look so good and last so long? Mm. So that's all the yep. you know the chemicals they use to preserve them and they get mm. them to grow fast. Mm. And um, I would say 100% that the food of today is not as nutrient dense as it was back when I was growing up. When yeah. I was growing up, you know, you'd go to the local, you knew your grocer. I mean, I used to live in Roselle, Balmain. Used to go, we knew the, knew the grocer. It, we'd see it get delivered straight from the farm. We'd pick it straight up. We'd go across the road to pick it up from the actual shop straight to our tables. Yeah. Now it's got to go long distance. It's um, packaged in plastic. Uh, the soil, it, because it grows so quickly, it's not enough time for the soils to uh, to really um, nourish and get yeah. the nutrients in the food. So I would say 100% um, organic is the way to go now yeah. because we have to, because uh, our food is, you know, you don't know. I mean, half the stuff gets radiated but between we, okay, let's country look, to country. Let's look at organic though. Let's look at organic yeah. growing, organic produce in the, uh, in the city. Yeah. So I, I work at a little cafe called The Grounds. We've got a beautiful vegetable Oh, yeah, I know garden. where you work, yeah. yeah. And I always, I always pick all, I would pick out the spinach out of the garden, pick the yeah. carrots out of the garden. I deliberately eat from the um, garden yeah. just to be, just to make people, create hype for people, right? But I know it's good for me. But how good is it at the same time we're getting out of the ground when the amount of planes, trains, 100%. Did you know there's an interesting study yeah. that I know of? There was a guy who was growing um, beetroot yep. in his backyard in Leichhardt. Yep. And they couldn't work out for the life of them. He was, he was not spraying them. Yep. They couldn't work out for the life of him why he, I think it was either he or his son, was high in lead. Yep. And they suspected it was the planes, mm. because the planes are dropping stuff down and they're mm. breathing in the whole time. But guess what beetroot does? It soaks. actually soaks up lead. Yeah. Wow. So... If you're wow. getting lead dropping into your soil, yeah. it's absorbing into your beetroot and then you're ingesting it. Yeah. So you're trying to do one thing, but you're creating another. Counteract so you're spot on. Yeah. And I would not grow vegetables in the city for that reason. And that's exactly what I, I come to this realization yeah. two years ago. Yeah. I'm watching the flight path. I'm watching the flight path. I'm just feeling, looking, and I'm just thinking, these vegetables I'm growing here. Yeah, you're onto it. Is, a, is counterproductive. Yeah. Absolutely counterproductive. And, I, and I, my job is to do tours, and I like to educate people. And one of the biggest things I want to do next year is I want to do what, you, what you're doing, is I want to travel around Australia. I want to hit and talk to 
people about health, uh, general well-being, mindset. Tell them about my story, inspire and power. Good on you. Uh, I, I get, that's my bi- up and go. I love it. That's what I love doing. But I can't tell people, you know, grow your own fresh fruit and vegetables at home in a city when I'm thinking to myself, this, no, my logic, the logic doesn't make sense to me. That yeah. the fresh fruit and vegetables I'm getting from the supermarket is no different in, uh, is still counterproductive as getting fresh fruit and vegetables out of this garden right here now. Yeah. You know, so like the concept is then you're kind of fucked if you're living in uh, a, a dead, uh, upbuilt density of, mm. you know, three, four million people, mm. you know. So, yeah, that's... It's a big, it's a big issue. And, and even... The, 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 I always say to people on a day-to-day basis, it's not, not cancer that kills you. It's not cancer, um, diabetes that kills you. It's not cardiovascular that kills you. And they go, what? It's actually the stress and the toxicity that's killing people. Mm. It's the toxicity is the biggest killer now. Mm. You got... And at the end of the day, it's all stress on the body. Mm person's not stressed their body doesn't go into degeneration like it does if they've got a genetic weakness there and they're stressed they bring it on quicker right but if they're not stressed they're switching those genes off and those genes aren't switching on but toxicity is a big problem and we do a lot of genetic testing and we find all these things called polymorphisms you know they're genetic defects and you know there's people out there that are really up against it and this is why it irks me at times when people say, oh, no, it's all in your head. Just get your head right. It's not just that. Mm. You have to look at... Because um, your body produces a lot of toxics. Toxic yes. Well, toxic. well, think about this, right? If your gut produces 80% of your serotonin, mm. what do you you got to look at what you're putting in your body. Right? Serotonin is your brain chemical, right? Yeah. Mm. So if it produces 80%, then you got to look at everything you're putting in your body. Mm from a toxic point of view, from a nutritional point of view, mm. all that sort of stuff. So mm. you're big on um, gut health? Gut health is cornerstone of naturopathic medicine. Mm. Yeah. It's the cornerstone. In fact, in the 1400s, actually even uh, Hippocrates talked about the importance of gut health. Mm. You know, the first doctor, medical doctor, the Greek doctor, famous doctor. But then there was a famous Chinese medicine doctor who said all disease starts in the gut. He said it starts in the stomach and spleen. In Chinese medicine, mm. The stomach and spleen is your gut, mm. right? He said, this is the 1400s, it's quoted in his book. All disease starts in the gut. This is in the 1400s. And then um, naturopaths got onto that in the 1800s, I believe. Uh, but now research is backing this up. Mm. We yeah. know it's all about the microbiome, mm. the gut flora. Mm. We know that antibiotics wipes out a whole colony, for, uh, can wipe out a whole colony. In fact, it takes four years to recover for one course of antibiotics. We know that um, the uh, people who are depressed, nine out of 10 of them have uh, poor gut health. I've got um, some probiotics here, and yeah, it's actually got the name of um, some of the stuff that's on it. Which company actually, is that? It's, uh, I can't remember the name. Okay, I don't know this company. They must produce their own my essence yet. So you've got a few probiotics in there, let's have a look. Yeah, it looks like it's been scratched off. Well, this looks like it's um. Yeah, this is a food-based one, so it's, they're using superfood probiotics. So it's not. Yeah, so okay. it's pretty good. Yeah. See, there's a big thing. Okay. Big thing at the moment. Everything's about probiotics. Yeah. Um, I was working with a, a doctor because uh, I, I liked, I I don't just sit on the fence. I I've got my my views. Yeah. I've got my beliefs that have no factual information, but I believe in it, mm-hmm. and I um and a lot of times when I believe, I find that that very right in a lot of ways but anyways he was telling me that um 
everyone's on about probiotics, but we're not focusing on prebiotics. And he was telling me that probiotics have to feed from prebiotics. Correct. And, you know, um, it's all well and good getting all those um, probiotic uh, capsules and pills and drinks and everything mm-hmm. like that. Well, it's got nothing to feed on. And so right. we, we were doing a, a concept here and he was right, look, looking at writing a book about enzymes, live enzymes, mm-hmm. and um, trying to uh, teach people about eating more um, more um, fruit and vegetables, or more vegetables that are oxidate, um, not, they've got a lot more oxygen because that's where your live enzymes and everything that, that's in, which allows your uh, probiotics to be able to eat that to be able to come, for them to become stronger. Yeah. Because you can have a whole belly full of probiotics and they'll die because yeah. there's no live enzymes feeding that's them. Right. So the uh, microbiome, will, we know now the research shows that the microbiome actually deserve, uh, de- um, determines what you crave. So if your good flora is there, you'll crave prebiotics, you'll yeah. crave healthy food, you'll crave vegetables and proteins. Whereas when your microbiome has a balance, mm. you'll actually crave sugars and all the things that feed all the nasties in your gut. Yeah. Mm. So it's the constant... When you say crave, is that a mental concept? No, because if you think about um, where we actually eat from, we eat, most of us eat from up here, but actually it's wrong. We mm. need to eat from here. And if your gut flora is correct, you'll crave the right thing to nourish your body. Yeah. It comes from the gut. When I quit sugar, I was craving sugar so much. Even just like in tea and stuff like that. We yeah. spoke about it a million times. Like, yeah. and you can We're feel not allowed it. to talk about sugar anymore. You can feel it. <laughs> you can feel it. People have, yeah. people have actually told me, can you guys stop talking about sugar in the podcast? It's <laughs> yeah. fucking boring. Yeah, okay. Well, sugar is, I mean, I'm not going to go into it. But um, Sorry well, sugar, will feed, sugar will feed the, the nasties. Mm. So the funguses, the, you know. So do you think about it like a tug of war between these bacteria in your gut? Mm. And the one guy's going, give me this. And the other one's going, give me this. But it's the one... Who you feed the most wins. Yeah. You know the old... Uh, which wolf do you feed? Which wolf, wolf do you feed? Same yeah. thing in your gut. Yeah, yeah. I've got science that can actually show you that in the brain, how that works, that whole which wolf do you... Mm. Um, but it's the same thing in the gut. And um, uh, Would you say that eating a lot of greens is what you need to give all the good uh, gut bacteria um, the advantage? Is it yeah. loads of greens? Or is greens, it like, but uh, there's things like brown rice is excellent. Green bananas. They say that you should have as many different coloured vegetables as possible. Is that true? Yeah, here's the thing, right? My nutrition is very specific. There's a lot of generalisation that goes on out there. There's like, for instance, they say, oh, well, you should eat blueberries. It's good for everybody. You should eat bananas because they've got potassium. You should eat, um, you know, I hear all these fantastic things come out. And then when you look at the individual, Mm. who it actually is good for, it's only a certain percentage of the population. Yeah. I mean, and that comes down to your own genetics and blood type. Mm. So blood type and genetics determine, actually can influence your cravings and what your gut actually needs. Yeah. Problem is, everyone's gut is no good. So no one's guts are, are optimized, uh, you know, they're not functioning the way they should be. Yeah. All it takes is one course of antibiotics, all it takes is stress, yeah. all it takes is nutritional deficiencies, too much sugar, the gut flora is gone. What about pH levels on all your different organs? Creating the right pH level. Yeah, look, it's you know, can, you, can, a, that, can co- that actually be done? Can that actually be done? P, uh, I, I, feel, I have a machine that tests the pH. Yeah, but can you? Can a human being, a, a single human being, mm-hmm. be able to create? See, pH level in a, a water uh, will spark in a. Uh, so we're drinking alkaline water. water. No, 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 yeah, swimming, exactly. uh, swimming, no, no, no. 
in a swimming pool, the pH level's right, so then all of a sudden, it'll never get bacteria, it'll never go green because it's spot on, right? Correct. Now, we should be able to do that same concept with our body, but each different organ has to have a different pH level. Is that Correct. right? Yeah, well, you've you got to have a certain pH, uh, but the thing is, it's actually generalization again. Everyone's pH, yeah. based on their, their individual genetics and physiology, yeah. is slightly different. Yeah. So you've got to be careful though, because we, we hopped onto this bandwagon of everyone should be neutral, pH, uh, should be alkalizing and stuff like that. But then alkalizing isn't good for everybody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, in fact, certain blood groups don't do well with an alkalizing diet. Yeah. So it actually affects their digestion. Um, so look, um, I mean, we did the raw food diet, for instance. Mm-hmm. The raw food diet. I said to the guys, I said, look, I can see this working for some of your guys, but I can't see it working for these other guys. Mm. And it was actually proven in my 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 actual testing. Yeah. That the blood group O's did so so. But then the blood group A's did very well because the blood group A's are very good with vegetarian and, and alkaline type eating. Yep. So they're like chalk and cheese, those two guys. Yep. O's and A's are like, you know, if, if you were to look at them from a body point of view, an O type is usually tall and stringy and small jaw. Yep. And the O blood type's like me, round head, a bit more stocky. So the yeah. O is you? I'm an O blood type. And what's the other one? A. A blood type. Be, I would be vegetarian. I'd be an A, wouldn't I? Because I'm really tall and skinny. Well, I mean, look, you. I look short. I look for everyone, you, I look short, but I'm actually. If I look at your jawline, I'd say you're, you're probably more A, but yeah. then I've been wrong before. Yeah. Because A's can carry O characteristics and, and vice versa. Yeah. But from a. If you're looking at the archetypical A blood type and O blood type, one looks more like a veggio yeah. that you would see at the hippie festivals. Yeah. And the other one looks more like a meat eater that's at the Oktoberfest eating his meat and drinking beer. Yeah. You know that sort of. Yeah. That that image. Yeah. 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 Or, or you know, think of the person who does yoga and it's very stringy. Yeah, yeah. Compared to the guy who's stocky, you know, that sort of thing. Ladies and gentlemen, it's that time of the night where we are going to have Alex's dun, 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 topics of discussion. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a time of night where it gets real juicy. Alex, take it away. Okay, so you know in China that they used to have the one-child policy? Yes. Um, This was a policy where, because of the overpopulation of China, Mm. they said you can only have one kid. Mm -hmm. And culturally, they, you know, they lean towards keeping males because in their culture, I don't know, males are still, you know, dominant ones. Like, it's not as even as it is in our culture. And so they estimated that between 30 to 60 million girls went missing, presumed killed, based on their gender. 36 million? 30 to 60 million. Oh, 30 to 60 million girls went missing. That's a 30 million gap in between 30 and 60. It's not very accurate, is it? But still. Yeah, but still um, hitting Mm. 30 million is just... But what's come out recently due to some research, 25 million have been found. Bullshit. Yeah. Where? Um, just in China, yeah. but like just not on the What metro. city? Oh, I'm going there now. <laughs> <laughs> but <like>. Ladies, <laughs> Niha Ma. <laughs> it's on. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Big Poppy's on his way. Don't tell Johnny, all right? <laughs> so the thing Spoken is... Spoken for. <laughs> the, the, the thing is, like, they were just unreported at birth and um, they've been either found on the government census years later because they've done the census years later and then yeah. it's like where you come from yeah. but um, 
apparently officials were turning like a blind eye to it to just people having multiple children in these rural areas oh, i see so people took them on somehow yeah i mean people allowed them like everyone in the village knew that they had a couple of girls but they just allowed it and you know what, what else they're gonna do like, well i think um there's a big documentary about um this one child policy um how it was very really unfair because there was many cases where especially when there was earthquakes and uh, it was it was a massive earthquake a couple of years ago that took out um a whole couple of bunches couple of schools or something like that killed thousands of kids and so then all of a sudden there was no no uh no parents had kids had a kid there was no one for the future for that area oh, right. um and there was like many cases of things like that about the whole debate with if your child gets shot or early or death or something you know something like that then how it's going to repopulate if you can only have that one child uh and is that still applied now um they abolished it last year yeah yeah um they wanted to try and keep it in urban areas yeah. so they they eased the restrictions on rural areas but now i think it's just you know normal now and when i say normal yeah. i just say like like we have it over here yeah. so talking about children jason children mm-hmm. any do i have any yeah none that i know of none that i know of yeah do you go missing on a uh, father's day do you lock yourself in um put a sign on the um p- practice away for the week no, no I love kids. <laughs> love kids to I love kids yeah, to death. Yeah, you, I love I work with a lot of kids, yeah. and so you know. Yeah, you're gonna. If look I have that chance doing? one day, yeah. I'm sure I'll. Uh, yeah. I'm sure it'll happen. Well, you're newly married. Is your wife actually I'm getting married in January? Yeah. Yeah. Next so. month. Yeah. Yeah. Next month. Are you excited. Next month. Yeah. Very excited. Where are you getting married? We're getting married at uh, Dunbar House, in in Watson's Bay. Yeah. Nice. 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 Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what's your next topic, Alex? Okay, so the mayors of a few major cities that include Paris, Mexico City, Madrid and Athens have said that they will ban the use of all diesel-powered vehicles by about 2025. All diesel-powered vehicles? Yeah. yeah? Quite a lot. Well, they've got a lot of... They, they, they do, they're quite toxic. If you think about the, like how much pollution there is in Mexico City as well and the amount of traffic that they have mm. there... Um, Paris is pretty bad as well and mm. um, that's like going to be an incredible reduction of greenhouse gases for one but also mm. like um, nitrogen oxide which comes out of diesel fuel which is what irritates the lungs and causes problems is it, it nitrogen like dioxide a, or sulfur dioxide um, it's nitrogen oxide yeah. I think there's something else as well that the particulate matter yeah. it's got something in it um, particle matter goes in the lungs and it yeah it's very toxic stuff mm-hmm. yeah because it's, it's yeah sorry uh, well yeah so it's particle matter and nitrogen oxides and nitrogen oxides create sort of like a uh, they create like a, um, a, a dome yeah of, of just gas and then that like affects people like as, asthmatics and mm. uh I think it's three million people die every single year according to the world health organization because of pollution in the air from mm. from vehicles well i can attest to that just i mean my parents are from malta and they abolished the buses which looked amazing they had these old buses that looked wonderful mm. but then when they got rid of those the pollution settled down because they're old buses with diesel mm. uh and i tell you what 
it isn't much fun when you go to a place like Australia and you go to those places mm. and they're predominantly diesel. Yeah. You do feel it. That's yeah. a massive thing I noticed yeah, between massive. like Hong Kong. My dad lives in Hong Kong, so I've been there a few times. Go to Hong Kong, come to Sydney. It's like a completely different world. Mm. Like in Barcelona, they actually did these public bikes and it reduced 9,000 tonnes for the year of CO2 in the atmosphere. Just from introducing government 9, bikes. 9,000 tonnes of CO2? Yeah. Fuck. So 2025, that's going to uh, come into play? Yeah. Didn't, wow. didn't Volkswagen get into trouble because of the old... Um, they were saying that their emissions were lower than they actually were. Oh, in, really? their, in their, I think there was a... When I was in Germany last year, there was a big... Uh, there was a big uproar. The Germans were a little bit... You know, I mean, some of my friends over there were a little bit ashamed of that, that they were getting that name yeah. abroad. But, um, yeah, Volkswagen basically lied. And... Yeah, it's it cause a lot of a lot of problems. It's interesting so. that concept because I've noticed in the last ten years that more um, uh, uh, just uh, family cars are coming with diesel, more sports cars are coming with diesel instead of unleaded. Well, it's which because is really it's fuel efficient. Yeah, but the I mean they've gotten better with the, the diesel engine. Yeah. And I can tell you. So that's really interesting that concept. Yeah. They're going to get rid of. Um, by 2025, mm. and especially in Paris, like that's a, a very, it's a very first world uh, country. Um, with today, with the today's technology, because they're bringing, they're bringing brand new uh, sports cars and family cars, diesel. Yeah, because they, they, they've gotten cleaner with mm. the diesel. Mm. However, it's still not the cleanest Fuck, I've got uh, fuel. The uh, interesting thing about. Um, uh, yeah, I was going to mention something. I've forgotten that now. It'll come to me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. I think it's going to do a lot. Uh, do you reckon that'll be a push for the rest of the world to come on board? Well, there's some major cities. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that... So, it's just, the, it's just the cities, though? It's just the cities? Well, yeah. It's not going to be less of a country. Yeah. Like, maybe... Because they're the capital. I mean, because Paris is trying to cut down how many how many cars and every mm. major city now... Can you just get in the water? Um every major city now is trying to cut down how many how much traffic is coming into the city mm-hmm. as it is so mm. I mean, is it really going to make much of a difference um in a surrounding area i mean if you look at sydney uh you wouldn't have lakemba penrith uh, uh you know all those towns around classified as sydney sydney's only really this area same with paris do you know what I mean? so yeah it'd be the same i don't think that it, like it, is it more just a height that, that this is a city that we are we're just a city in the main city yeah we're just we're a city and we're doing this but well, it leads by example that's the yeah, thing yeah. and then hopefully other capitals around the world will follow suit as well yeah. did you know that the diesel engine was meant to run on vegetable oil it does run on vegetable oil well it's meant to yeah. that's how it was designed but then yeah. it wasn't economic yeah. for the comp- the petrol companies yeah. so they developed diesel fuel okay so um, when I had my I had an Alfa Romeo once it was a 159 it was diesel, and I couldn't stand the smell of um, the diesel fuel. I used to drive it, honestly, to make me feel crook. And I changed over to soybean oil, which is the, I think it's, can't remember the exact name of it. And it used to smell a bit like fish and chips mm. when, you're, when you're actually burning <laughs> fish and chips. It's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mate, I used to uh, work in a seafood restaurant, and I used to have this guy, old bloke, come from, down from the mountains. And uh, he'd collect all our old uh, uh, fish and chip oil, 
And he'd, make, he'd go and buy, make biodiesel. There you go, Bio biodiesel. Diesel. That's what for, I meant. Uh, I meant to say biodiesel, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, fish and chip, man. Um, just the smell like that was interesting. Did, well, did, you, did you actually go and buy the soybean oil in like... No, 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 that was a, that was a petrol pump in Marigold. Oh, really? They used to dispense it. <laughs> dispense soil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, because I was feeling so crook on normal diesel, I thought, because <laughs> I'm being the naturopath, I was <laughs> like, around his rich I thought, car. <laughs> okay, soybean oil, okay, let's try that out. And it drove the same. Yeah. It, it just smelled like fish and chip oil. It yeah. didn't do uh, too much more for my health because yeah. I found the... So I ended up getting rid of the car. I, I'll never buy, I never buy. I never buy a diesel car again. Wait, you like? <laughs> no, sniffing. It's not for me. Not for me. Fuck! I just smell fish and chips. <laughs> like there's like yeah. grease on your windscreen. <laughs> yeah. Seagulls are just constantly following you around, mate. <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah, trying to look into your pocket. <laughs> uh, interesting. Um, I've got. A, I've got a last point. Yep. Okay, so mammoths went extinct. 1,000 years. I can't do that. No. <laughs> oh, but I don't make this whole point. No, but I think it is mammoths went extinct at the same time. Um, no, they went, they went, they, they were around whilst the Egyptians were building the Great Pyramid. It's funny you say that because... Is that facts? Uh, that was looking, I was looking at that as one of my facts today because um, we have a fact part on this in a little bit time to come. That, uh, yeah, I was looking at that study too that... Um, when they were building the pyramids, in the same time of the period of building the pyramids, the mammoths were roaming the earth. That's they insane, isn't it? That's, that's really interesting. 4,500 years ago as well. Mm. It kind of makes sense. You know, I was, I, was, I was reading an article about, um, this, uh, uh, because I was, you'll see in a few minutes we'll talk about facts, that monkeys, humans and monkeys, had the same amount of, uh, almost, amount, almost had the same amount of hair. Is that the um, human body you know, the hairs are just so light and fine that you can't notice it as much. Mm, interesting. And as uh, as evolution has come along, um, we've just gradually lost it. But mm. we still today have just as much hair as a, a monkey does. Interesting. Um, yeah, if you, yeah, but, but because our hair is so light, and I, yeah. and one one part of that when I was reading the article, I noticed because I love to study the human body, and most of the human body I like to study is the female body, right? <laughs> and um, I find that when I'm, I'm looking after a female body, um, with no hair, just the body, <laughs> but I find a lot of women are really, really hairy. Like when you know, really look at the skin, do you notice that as a practitioner? Like how hairy? Because you no see comment. No. <laughs> no, but you see, as a man, you don't really, you're not really looking. But like when you can't ever made that observation. No, no, no. Yeah, but I, yeah, I was, and I made the observation and I put that thing and I was read the article. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Well, it was estimated that 150 million mammoths are buried in a Siberian tundra at the moment. And they think that, um, well, they've mapped out... And buried. Buried, yeah. yeah. Uh, Who buried them? Well, they've been buried. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've completed the genome of the, the entire genome of the woolly mammoth. And um, they've documented that. And they're trying to create hybrid clones with them and elephants. Really? Mm. Right now, in Japan. God. Wow. Interesting. That's really interesting. So the mammoth can return. <sighs> so when, when, uh, when, what uh, timeline was this, the mammoth? Um, well, it went extinct 4,500 years ago, and they were around for, 
I didn't write it down, but I read it, but I can't remember. So this is out in the Siberian, Siberian Desert. Yeah. In the Siberian Desert were mammoths. They were all over the world. So in North America. But the most Asia. amount that was found was in Siberian Desert. No, well, at the moment, they know that 150 million. That's a lot of fucking um, elephants. Are mm. buried yeah, so in the Siberian 150 Center. million. That's over the course of millions of years of mammoths. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they were around for a long time. Yeah. Fuck. Mm. That's insane. 150 million are on the ground. Wow. Yeah. Jesus. Mm. Someone, you know, hmm. some, uh, that's yeah, interesting. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, this is the time of the night when we bring up Premier's Facts. So, fact number one. <sighs> Let's have a look at where's my facts. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, I just missed the bloody. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, bloody amateur. Okay, fact number one. Wearing headphones for just an hour will increase the bacteria in your ear by 700 times the amount of bacteria that you had without wearing headphones. Now, that kind of troubles me. For an hour, that's a, that's a, for a period of an hour, that's based on. Mm. Mm. Now, I don't know how much bacteria that I have in my ear at any given time, but I put my headphones on all day, every day. I, I, I wear them around my neck, but I listen to music all the time. I go to sleep with them. I wake up in the morning to stupid voices in my head because the music's still playing. So I don't know how much bacteria I've got in my head. <laughs> and if I'm going to drop dead all of a sudden. Mm. That's it, the thing is, your microbiome is everywhere. Yeah. Your microbiome, your flora, yeah. it's every surface of your body. Yeah. Right? So it's constantly changing and, and um, you know, re, re, reforming. It all comes down to the strength of the host. So you can have all that bacteria there, but if your vitality is strong and your immune system is good, your body takes care of that stuff. Yep. So you, you needn't worry about it. Yep. And I'm yet to hear of people getting... I'm yet to hear of people getting chronic infections from using headphones all the time. Yep. But also it makes me think about when you're making that discussion about... Uh, the vessel they've got, how strong that is, how much bacteria you can carry. You know, when you look at rats mm. and uh, uh, rats and um, meerkats, they carry a shitload of. Yeah. It's just interesting, like mm. that whole concept that it doesn't affect. It comes affect down them. to the host. Yeah, yeah. You know, Louis Pasteur? Mm-hmm. Louis Pasteur was the guy who was all about the microbe. The milk guy. Sorry? Yeah. Tell me what, what Louis you, what, Pasteur was a, a scientist who believed that um, it was all about the microbe. So the microbe being the cause of a lot of illness and whatnot. But as he passed on, he realised that it was all about the terrain, the terrain of the body, yeah. not the microbe. So you can have microbes, but it's the strength of the terrain that's the, the key. Okay. So an example would be, you know, someone gets an infection or an infestation of streptococcus or some sort of... But how well their immune system and how their, their vitality is to take care of that mm-hmm. compared to someone who, who might have a suppressed immune system depends on whether they get an infection or not. Okay. So, you know, if you're not prone to ear infections and you have a reasonably good immune system, you know, that shouldn't be an issue. Whew, ladies and gentlemen, there you go. This is why it's good to always have a doctor, nutritionist and a philosopher on the Fresh Prince of Tasmania, ladies and gentlemen. All right, fact number two. Now, this one was interesting. 
Now, I think all the viewers out there, I want you to go home and I want you to spend hours looking at this. In every episode of Seinfeld, there is a Superman somewhere in every episode of Seinfeld. Really? Yeah. Now, I was unaware of that until I started looking right into it. And in every episode I've seen so far, I've found him. Wow. Where did you find Can you give me an example where you might have seen him? Can we bring some up? Uh, 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 on a... On a uh, cof- uh, what are the things you put a drink on? Yeah. A toaster? Toaster. Co- coaster. Toaster, yeah. Coaster. Yeah. Um, there was uh, one on a bar, uh, one in the kitchen, uh, like wow. a little mannequin. Um, you just saw one that was just like a silhouette of him. Yeah. And now that I'm looking, I was like, I was like, yeah. And the funny thing why I was looking up Seinfeld <coughs> is because I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday about comedy, you know, and uh, <coughs> talk about Seinfeld being paid the most the highest paid uh, comedian in the world. Mm. Um, something like uh, something like $600 uh, million in royalties is still getting paid to him. That's like ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I've never seen it. Never seen Seinfeld? <laughs> what the fuck? Wow. So, huh? you never seen so- I wouldn't expect Do you like Seinfeld? Oh yeah, love Seinfeld. Seinfeld. I love Joe Costanza. Mate. Love him. All right. Fact number three, ladies and jelly beans. All right. Here we go. So, this is interesting. The pig, all pigs had the same intelligence as a three-year-old child. Yeah, yeah, I knew that one. Now, two, that's really, that really interests me. And so, furthermore, that study, we have a pig at the cafe that I work at. That's the reason why I stopped eating pigs. Yeah? Because you feel like you're eating a three-year-old child? Yeah. <laughs> God, this is what a three-year-old child tastes like. <laughs> Bacon. <laughs> try, uh, yeah, try to say that in court. <laughs> I stole your baby and I ate it because I wanted to see if it tastes like bacon. <laughs> but we have a pig at, um, at, the work, at, at my work and his name's Kevin Bacon. And uh, he's a very intelligent boy. And I take him for walks around the property. And he's smarter than any dog, any animal that I've ever had. And uh, I found that fact. I was like, I want to see, you know, I found this fact ages ago. Wanted to see how, how it actually would play. Accurate it was, yeah. Yeah. To the point where I tell him, he go walks over there. I say, mate, don't go over there. Uh-uh, I don't want you going over there. Just like I would speak to a child. I literally speak to him like he's a child. And um, next Friday, we won't be doing the podcast, ladies and gentlemen, on Friday. We might be doing it early in the week. But we will, me and Kevin have been asked to go on the red carpet at Fox Studios next Friday night for the premiere screening of Pets. Wow, cool. So I'm going to be walking this pig up the red carpet That's very at cool. Fox Studios. <laughs> now, another interesting nice fact about the pig is in, 19, no, in 1386, a pig in France was executed by a public hanging for the murder of a child. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Isn't that funny? That is. We will fucking hang this pig. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because the ki- the pig was like, nah, I want to fucking see if he tastes like human. <laughs> 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 no one's fucking eating me, mate. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking eat this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so ladies and gentlemen, this is the time of night, as I was saying before, where. We had the man behind the camera that you never see. Okay, so we were talking about first world problems before, so we're still going to talk about the world, but in a bit more of a sadder point of view, because Stephen Hawking says we've only got about a thousand years 
Okay, first and foremost, why is it important saying we've got a thousand years to live? Is it? He doesn't. I, I've seen him be wrong about stuff before. I think he was wrong about the Higgs boson. Like, um, I, the thing is with Hawking, he's yeah, he's super clever. Knows a lot about black holes, but um, at the end of the day, he's probably right about this because you said black holes. Black holes. Oh, holes. <laughs> a lot of yeah, um, mm. a lot of a lot of people think that you know we need to the probability of Earth getting hit by a massive object or I don't know the sun. And sending off solar flares that pierce through the atmosphere and burn. Is that what he's saying? Like, how is he... How he's is saying he, the probability... He's, I read it today. He said, like, like in a thousand years, the probability of something happening, like even an earthquake, like an earthquake big enough to um, kill us all, or a volcano, like, in a thousand years, the chances are something like a mass extinction event will happen. The thing is, though, in a thousand years, I think... We're going to evolve as well, mm. and we're going to be able to. Good point. Like, mm. Hugely Elon Musk is very good point. Very good point. Elon Musk is like sending people to Mars within the next couple. I can't remember the next decade or something. In ten years, he wants to send send people to Mars. Think how quickly we can colonize across all these planets and in space in general. You don't have to be on a planet to colonize. You can just be in space in the space. It's a pretty big thing. Yeah. Well, there's a thing called homeostasis, right? Homeostasis is a bit about constant trying to, it's in our bodies as well. So we're basically in a constant state of trying to balance ourselves. The body's constantly, if something, a threat, like a bacteria comes in, our body takes care of it and balances it out. So that's homeostasis, keeps the balance. Same thing in the universe, in the world. When something starts to go, you know, it's the yin and yang theory. When there's a bit too much yang, the yin kicks in to try and bring that into balance. So... Um, I think Stephen Hawkins is thinking very hedonistic about this. If, 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 if I were to comment about that, I think he's looking at data. I mean, he's a very sounds to me like a very intellectual guy. Mm. I don't know. Is he more of an intellectual? I don't I haven't studied him a lot, but is he more of an intellectual or instinctual? For me, he's like a, a celebrity intellectual. Yeah. See, to me, he's so intellectual. It's, it's, it's like intellect is important. Intellect's good, but I think. Um, it can can lead you down a path of getting too hedonistic about things, mm-hmm. and I think um, you know you probably find that um, there's another complete element to it altogether. Like in terms of that, he hasn't considered. What, he hasn't considered yet. That's yeah. that's what I'm trying to say. Now, at the same time, it's a massive, broad statement that's open. For, it is open. It's like an open, like yeah. yeah, probability in a thousand years. This is what I probability believe. No, say, mate. How come it's not a thousand and three? Yeah. Years? No, say, look, I. So this is an absolute fact. In, the Earth will only be around for a thousand years. Don't use the word probability. It's like this, the, the word probability and possibility are so. You know, what I have a problem with this statement. Yeah. Is it's almost because when a statement like that is made on a global scale, mm. and you have a person of influence. You can actually get people believing this. Mm. So, if people start enough people believe it, mm. then we're creating the world to end in a thousand years. Mm. We're creating that. We're problem. creating the world to end in a thousand years. Isn't it the media's problem, really? Because he could just be saying something that all the scientists are saying anyway, which is prob- the probability of Earth, like st- like our civilization on Earth, the way it is, being around in a thousand years, is next to nothing. It's pro- it's really unlikely to happen. So he's just saying like a thing that everyone else is saying. Um, but the media are turning it into a doomsday type of story. Yeah, that's right. What does it say? What, what have you found? It might be just 
put the icing on the cake for this topic? So subsequently, it doesn't really hold much in any... Uh, but having said that, I think he's got... What, what, what message he's sending, what I'm receiving from that is he's saying, telling the world to ship up or ship out, uh, mm. ship, you know, mm. shape up or ship out, mm. is what I'm trying to say. So in other words, it's, he's, not, he's making a statement at the same time, he's... It's Being almost, proactive a, it's almost a warning. Yeah. Because he's, he's, seeing, he's, he's a visionary, he's seeing in the future, mm. but he's also telling people... This if we is keep what, going the way we're going. So he's not saying that's going to happen. Mm. You know, this is what I'm getting. Mm. He's not saying it's going to happen, but let's shape up. Mm. Let's get this stuff. Let's change our reality. Yeah. What's but, your view yeah. on artificial intelligence? I don't really have one. No, I have one. My view is that it's the next step for evolution. Controversial. Artificial intelligence. Explain it to me, please. Because... And I'll give you an opinion. Artificial intelligence can feel everything we can feel and can think everything we can think and more. It can even th- think and feel in ways that we can't comprehend. Right What's now. the artificial part? Um, the fact... Robots. It's not, it's robots. Are you talking about robots? I mean, we call it artificial intelligence. To me, it's nothing. It's just matter that has been created by other matter. That's how I describe it. I mean, it's not artificial to me. We're artificial. I mean, we, we've... We believe okay, in ourselves as are you saying, I, I, I think I'm getting what you're saying. Yeah. Are you saying um, the mechanics? Uh, we call artificial it artificial because we've labelled it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, all it is is matter. And we're matter that has grown from other matter. Mm. And we've made, we are going to make other matter, which yeah. will be the artificial intelligence. I hear what you're saying. It's a human, but it's an energy, the energy behind it is humanistic that's creating artificial intelligence. So we're the energy behind this creation. Which is then going to set a wheel in motion for this artificial intelligence to take over, just like a computer sometimes takes over. Yeah. So you're saying yeah? that you feel so, like the human race is going to disappear? I think it's inferior to um, to robots. I I don't think that. I think the human race is going to um, become smarter. It's going to be more efficient. It's going to look at better ways of. Uh, we're in a, a, a golden age right now to make such a positive and proactive change that we've ever been in this uh, the way the use of technology that's advanced from in the last 22 decades has been phenomenal and i'm saying that just from a perspective of you and myself like a non-military standard non uh government standard just an everyday person the technology that we have the awareness that we have around us you know be able to the connections that we're able to have the consciousness yeah. yeah of consciousness awareness and just mindset people fitness and nutrition we are living in the golden age of evolution of where this human race is going to go to i feel like when i die at the age of 112 that i will be able to see an, an amazing generation coming through that's going to make such a proactive change on this earth and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Fresh Prince of Tasmania. Thank you so much for tuning in to us. Thank you, Jason, for coming. Jason Malaya here, ladies and gentlemen. 
on, on, on the Fresh Prince of Tasmania. This is his book, The Wandering... The Wounded. Sorry, The Wounded <laughs> Healer. I'm such a reader. The Wounded Healer, ladies and gentlemen. We are, you are releasing this, uh, not next Wednesday, but the Wednesday. 14th of December. 14th of December. Where is it? Uh, the uh, Italian Forum in Leichhardt. Ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be an amazing book. We are going to be uh, putting this up for free for you to have a read on our page. Just the front page. <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, mate, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure You're having you. Welcome. Pleasure having it. Yeah. Uh, pleasure being here. And, Thanks, uh, guys, for inviting Alex, me. Been great to have you, Christian. Thank you so much, boys and girls. Please follow us on the Fresh Prince of Tasmania on YouTube. Please follow us on Instagram. Please follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, every social media platform that you can find us. Please email us if you have any queries about our show. If you want to come on behind stage, backstage, sit behind us. And uh, if you want to come on and talk to us, if you hate what we're saying, please email us at thefreshprinceoftasmania at gmail.com.au. I love you. We love you. Remember, be proactive. Make your reality today by implementing simple actions. That's all you need to do. Don't worry about the big picture. Just make those little baby steps. Make those baby steps reality. And that's how you make your dreams. And that's how you become successful. I love you. Stay proactive. Proactive. Thank you.